We're coming to the end of our series of talks, thinking about the big ideas we need to live by. The series has been called The Ten Rules for Life, God's Ten Rules for Life. If you haven't seen the first part of the series of our talks on our YouTube channel or our podcast, you might want to check them out um, because they give the background to what I'm going to be covering today. Each of our Ten Rules for Life has been taken from the Ten Commandments, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible. And today, we're going to be looking at the ninth rule for life. To summarize our ninth rule for life is as follows. To live well, we must be truthful and trustworthy. To live well, we must be truthful and trustworthy. The Ten Rules are summarized in the Bible in in several places, and, and this is how the ninth commandment or the ninth rule is given in Exodus 20 in the 16th verse. You shall not give false testimony, false testimony against your neighbour. Now these rules outline and expand on how human relationships go wrong. They go wrong because we ignore God, how God instructs us to relate to him, and so we end up worshipping other things instead of God. They go wrong because we ignore how God instructs us to treat and relate to one another. And so we don't honour our father and our mother. And then we see the impact of this, of how we treat one another, relating in violence to one another, unfaithfulness, selfishness and stealing. Now this week in our ninth rule, we're going to look at the importance of what we say and what the devastating impact that can have on other people's lives if we are not truthful, trustworthy, if we're false, if we're malicious or abusive with our words towards one another. It could be good to get perspective from an Old Testament scholar to understand the importance of this commandment as to how it was given to the ancient Israelites thousands of years ago at the time. And according to Old Testament um, commentary, This ninth commandment has a a context of testimony in court. Now, it refers to lying in general, but there is a strong context of false testimony in court. Now, this makes sense. At the time of ancient Israel, justice depended on witnesses, much to a larger extent than it does today in our modern world of surveillance cameras and DNA testing and email trails. At the time, to establish guilt or innocence depended on the honesty, on the honest witness and integrity of the people. And as with other commandments we've looked at in this series, it's not solely on personal morality, just for the sake of being good. It relates to our behaviour and how it affects the health and the well-being of the community as a whole. Now, in the times of ancient Israel, when people had a dispute possibly over land or property. If the parties involved, those witnesses, intentionally distorted the truth, maybe for personal gain, then the consequences can be devastating. We can have a look at an example in the Old Testament from 1 Kings in the 21st chapter to see the importance of this and how it plays out and how it relates to those other um, uh, rules we've been looking at so far. In the 21st chapter of Kings, we pick up the story of King Ahab. And King Ahab said to a man called Naboth, 
Let me have your vineyard to use for my vegetable garden, since it's close to my palace. Exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. So King Ahab desired to have the vineyard of Naboth. However, Naboth replied, well, Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So for Naboth, the inheritance of his ancestors was worth more than any money that King Ahab could give him. So Ahab goes home, and he goes home and he sulks. He sulks on his bed and he refuses to eat. And at this point, his wife Jezebel comes into the scene. And she says, why are you so sullen? And he told her the story. And she says, is this how the king of Israel acts? Get up and eat. Cheer yourself. I will get you the vineyard. And it's at this point that King Ahab and his wife Jezebel devised a plan. And the plan was this. They threw a feast and they put Naboth at the center of attention. And then just at the right moment, a man on the left of Naboth and another on his right stood up and gave false witness against him. And at that time, the result of that of this false witness, was that Naboth was put to death on the spot. And Ahab and Jezebel got what they wanted, Naboth's vineyard. So we can see here the the devastating effect of false witness. And we can also see how these rules for life interplay with each other. Because we have here the, the coveting of someone else's stuff, which is a rule we're going to cover next time. And that was the motive. The method was the false witness, which resulted in the murder, a man's death. So we see the importance here, we've seen the importance here of, of, the ten, of this ninth commandment in the context of, of witnessing the, in the courtroom situation. But as with the other commandments or the rules we've looked at, they go much deeper than that. And the ninth rule also goes deeper. For instance, when we looked at Murder, murder was the worst way of breaking the sixth commandment. But Jesus tells us it's not only the only way, you can also be angry and break the sixth commandment. And adultery is the worst way of violating the seventh commandment. But Jesus tells us if we lust after someone else, we've also sinned. And so it is with the ninth commandment that the worst thing is bearing false witness in court, where someone's life could be taken uh, as a result of this deceit. However, the commandment isn't just uh, for the courtroom. It deals with all manifest of falsehoods. And this is where we start to see how God deeply cares about verbal justice. I guess we've heard the phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And really, this isn't true, because lies do hurt deeply. And the command And this ninth rule is meant to protect marriages, protect property, protect life, reputation, and honour. Now, in general, in our Western modern society, we can sometimes treat words fairly carelessly and maybe casually. For example, we make wedding vows. We look that person in the eye and we say, I will love and honour and cherish you till the death we part. But then we find someone else or we get bored Or we run into difficulty in our marriage. Or someone gets sick. And then these words of commitment seem to just fall apart. 
So how deep does this ninth rule go? To help us, the, the, the Heidelberg Catechism can give a, gives a useful summary, and it summarizes as follows. That I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, no gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses, and they would call down on me God's intense wrath. I should love the truth, speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbour's good name. So let's think about some of those phrases that we've just seen in the Heidelberg Catechism Summary. And to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on some of the work of a, uh, an author, Kevin DeYoung, from his book, The Ten Commandments. Firstly, never give false testimony, and we've covered that to some extent already um, in our courtroom scenarios. But let's look at the second of those statements, twist no one's words. Now this can actually be very easy to do, and sometimes we can do it naturally without thinking about it. I mean, how easy is it for us to tell a story so that we're the heroes and the other person's the ghost? where we emphasise only the really mean things that they said to us, but we kind of leave out the harmful and hurtful things we said in the process as well. Now, whether we realise it or not, and especially when we're engaged in in conflict with a person or or in a group, we can find that we're passing along information with an implied certain tone. We either leave out certain bits of information or maybe we summarise a long conversation in a way that makes us or our side look good and the others or the other person look bad. And I'm sure we've seen a lot of this recently in US election debates and the run-up uh, around that whole, um, that whole election. Now, spin is not just for the politicians. It's not just something famous people do. We can all spin. Thirdly, our summary looked at gossip or slander. Gossip is passing along a report or a rumour that cannot be substantiated. But in his book, Kevin DeYoung goes a bit further and says, well, we also gossip when we pass along something that's true, but really unnecessarily. If I pass along that someone has been involved in a scandal, someone's just got fired in a job, can I say, well, I'm not gossiping because it's true, and it might be true. But we do need to ask ourselves, is it really necessary to pass along that information? Now, there are grey areas, and we do need to ask ourselves, um, you know, would that person be happy for me to talk about them and pass along this information? And it's difficult. Sometimes maybe we're seeking counsel of how we can best love that person or developing a plan of action so we can go and speak and, uh, and confess something um, and the general rule is, is, is when in doubt, keep the circle as small as possible and think about, would this person want me to talk about this information that I'm passing along? It, it's wrong to gossip and it's also wrong to listen to gossip. As it says in the Proverbs, Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost parts. And it can be really difficult for us sometimes 
to be able to say, hey, stop, hang on a second. I'm not sure we should be having this conversation right now. Or I don't mean to be critical, but I'm really not sure about that. And sometimes our silence in the face of gossip is just as bad. And this is something that I've had to repent of at times in my own life. Not that I'm gossiping, but I've listened and not really done anything about it. And while someone's good name is being um, trodden on, we just listen and take it in. When maybe instead we need to do the courageous thing and say, you know what, I don't think we know all the facts. Or, hey, we just need to stop that right now. Now, slander goes one step further, deliberately passing on what's false. And if we're quick to pass along unsubstantiated false reports, we can find ourselves moving quickly into that territory of slander. And some of these are quite difficult when we start digging into it and we find that if we're not careful, we get drawn into it um, without even thinking. And especially when I come to this fourth point that was covered in the summary of join, we should not join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. This is um, at times quite difficult in today's modern society. Um, the foundational point of Western justice is that you're innocent and proven, proven guilty. And we should really want to hear all the facts of a case before we come to any determination. Presuming innocence doesn't mean we never make a judgment. It means we can't be a critical thinker. Um, but it should mean we withhold a verdict until we have as much information as we can. And this is a huge challenge in our modern day, in the world of social media, where trial by Facebook or trial by Twitter is, is so prominent a serious allegation is so easily made about, it could be a person of notoriety, it could be a pastor, it could be a politician, it, but it could also be someone in our circle of friends or someone in our community. And sometimes the charges seem credible, other times they seem speculative. But either way, trial by social media can follow. This is a challenge for anyone to navigate because... If those allegations are proven true, then it is a terrible tragedy. And that person's um, faults have been splashed all over social media. But if they're proven false or misleading, then it's often too late. And the reputation of that person or their life um, has, has been ruined. So we must not condemn anyone without hearing, without a hearing or a just cause. In Proverbs 22, it says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed better than silver or gold. If you lose your material stuff, people will generally feel sorry for you and rally around you. If you lose your good name and your reputation, then a lot of people won't want to touch you. A good name can build a lifetime, can take a lifetime to build. And a single afternoon and a, and a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed to lose. And all it takes is a few malicious people on the internet and scores of other people who believe it. And maybe that person's name is tarnished. So let's bring some of this to a conclusion. Why is telling the truth so important? Well, it's important because we need to understand it's the nature of God himself. God doesn't lie, ever. It says in Romans, let God be true, though everyone else a liar. And in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, 
and the truth and the life. It's the nature of God himself. Now, conversely, what's the nature of the devil? He's the father of lies. And when we twist and deceive, we're doing the very work of the devil. From the beginning in Genesis, the devil said, well, did God actually say in the Garden of Eden? He shows himself to be a deceiver. And he doesn't just tell bold, barefaced lies. They're subtle, half-truths, misleading statements. He presents the bait, then hides the hook. The ninth commandment is more than not just lying. It's as Jesus summarized about loving our neighbors as ourselves. So let's finish. In Acts, we hear that we received the Holy Spirit, which comes to us. And Jesus said to the disciples, they will be witnesses in in Jerusalem and to the end of the earth. And so living our lives as faithful witnesses is hugely important It's hugely important for us as how we relate to one another. It's hugely important for how we represent God. Our words must be trustworthy at all times. Otherwise, how will people believe us when we want to give them the words of life? And why should they trust us when we speak of eternal things if we can't be trusted to speak of temporal things? The good news is that Christ is our witness, a true and faithful witness against the devil. And that we need to be his true witness in the world. And so we must never give false witness against anyone. We must do what we can to protect our neighbour's good name. And we must, to live well, be truthful and trustworthy.